Amen. And we'll turn together in God's Word to read the Scriptures together. And we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew and to the chapter 27. This past number of Lord's Day evenings, we have been considering Calvary, looking at those gospel accounts and taking uh, little details there that are given to us in the scriptures and the lessons that we can learn from them. And tonight we're coming to Matthew chapter 27, moving down that chapter to the verse 39. And again, we're coming uh, to consider here the cross of Calvary. Matthew 27, the verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land on to the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. We'll end there at the verse 54. May the Lord add his own blessing to this reading from his most precious and infallible word. Let us turn together once again in God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew and to the chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew 
and to chapter 27. As we've read down a section of this chapter together, I would like to draw your attention this evening in the gospel to the verse 45. In the verse 45 we read, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And as we come tonight under the shadow of Golgotha, the title of the message is The Darkness at Calvary. The Darkness at Calvary. Let us unite together in a word of prayer and ask the Lord for his blessing upon the preaching of his word. Our Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we do thank thee for thy presence with us this day already and even for help that has been given in answer to prayer. And we ask, O God, as we come to meditate upon thy word, and particularly, O God, to come to consider together Calvary, we do pray that thou would speak to our hearts, and that even this night, O God, the entrance of thy word might give light to some heart this evening. We pray that there might be a soul that would come, O God, from being troubled and burdened with their sin, to know that joy and that peace in believing. Hear our prayer, and for this short time, close us into thy presence and pour out of thy blessing upon us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, at this time of the year, you maybe often hear people saying, Oh, the nights are drawing in. And the darkness is coming. And many people, perhaps particularly the elderly, they dread those dark nights coming. But then there might be some children, some younger people, and they're not keen on the dark either. There'd be young children that would be afraid of the dark. And for a time they have to sleep with the light on. But maybe... If we were all being honest, we're all a little bit apprehensive about the dark. It's not just the children. When you come to the Word of God, to the Bible, we find that there are occasions, many occasions, when darkness is mentioned in the Bible. And there are some notable occasions that would stand out for us. For example, in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to go very far into the Bible to read about darkness. In fact, you just go to the second verse. In Genesis chapter 1 and the verse 2, it tells us that darkness was upon the face of the deep. And so there was that time before the Lord moved in creation, when it tells us that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it was then that God said, let there be light. There was light. The Lord was the creator of the light. And Genesis 1 will go on to explain that God divided the light from the darkness and the light he called day and the darkness he called night. And so darkness is mentioned very early on in the Bible. 
And darkness is also mentioned in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, you would remember the ten plagues that the Lord sent upon Egypt. I'm sure you could name most of those plagues tonight. Well, the ninth one, the ninth plague was the plague of darkness. And you know, it wasn't an ordinary darkness because in Exodus chapter 10, it describes that darkness. It tells us that the darkness was going to be so thick and so gross a darkness that it could be felt. Verse 21 of Exodus 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. My, if we didn't have the street lights, and maybe there's a street light near you that would go out, and you would wonder, why is it so dark? Well, the darkness that came in the ninth plague was such a thick, gross darkness that it could be felt. And they were unable to see each other at all. And they were unable to leave their houses because it was such a thick darkness. And so darkness is referred to in the Bible on a number of notable occasions. And here in our Bible reading tonight, we have read about the darkness at Calvary. And there in our text of Scripture, in Matthew 27 and the verse 45, it tells us that there was three hours of darkness. Three hours of darkness from the sixth hour through to the ninth hour. And here we have a detail that is given to us that Perhaps if we were casually reading, we would just pass over. But we know that every detail in the Word of God is of the utmost importance. And so there would be a significance tonight that this detail about the darkness is given to us in the Gospel account. All those details around the cross, and we have looked at just some of them, they all have their significance. And tonight we're thinking about the darkness at Calvary. And firstly, we think about the miracle of this darkness. You look there at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land onto the ninth hour. And so the time is very specifically given to us here. Three hours of darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Now to understand what time that was actually referring to, you must understand the Jewish day. The Jewish day consisted of a 12-hour period that started at 6 a.m. And so from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., that was classed as the first hour of the day. And so when you understand that, it's not very difficult to work out then the sixth hour. If you get up to 9 a.m., that would be the third hour. And then you would move into the fourth hour and the fifth hour. And then the sixth hour, that takes us to 12 noon. And so here we're at Calvary. We're at Golgotha's hillside. 
And we have got here up to the sixth hour of the day. And we know that that's 12 noon. And it tells us there at 12 noon that this darkness came. Therefore you can see it's a miracle. Because 12 noon and three hours, then up to 3 p.m. to the ninth hour. That should be the brightest time of the day. And so at the brightest time, what should have been the brightest time of the day, this darkness comes. And therefore that's something that was not natural. That was a supernatural darkness. That's a darkness that came from the Lord. Over in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 23, and he's referring to this same period. And again, it's the verse 45 in Luke 23. It says there, and the sun was darkened. And that's how Luke describes it. The sun was darkened. And therefore you can see that this was certainly a miracle. Now there may be some who would try to explain it away. And they may come critically to the word of God. And they would say, oh, it wasn't a miracle. That was just an eclipse. At the time when the Savior was crucified was the time of the Passover. The Passover is associated with the full moon. And experts tell us that there cannot be an eclipse when there's a full moon. Because those heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon, are in the wrong positions for an eclipse when there's a full moon. And so it wasn't an eclipse. But even if it was, an eclipse only lasts for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes at most. But we learn here that this was not just a few seconds. This was not just a few minutes. This lasted for three hours. And so this darkness comes down at Calvary for this three-hour period. And we're saying that this had to be a divine miracle. That's the only explanation that is sufficient. Of course, we remember the Lord is the creator. He's the creator of this universe. We've made reference to Genesis chapter 1 and we believe literally Genesis chapter 1. And there on the fourth day the Lord created those heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon, and he made the stars also, it says. He set them in their place. And he started the planets in their orbit. And the Lord controls them. He's the creator God. You remember in the days of Joshua, and it's recorded in Joshua chapter 10, whenever they were doing battle and the daylight was running out and they needed more daylight to finish off the battle and to rout the enemy. And the Lord did a great miracle that day. It says the sun stood still in the heavens. God stopped the sun. It says it didn't set for a whole day. He's the great creator. He is the almighty. Do you remember in the days of Hezekiah, it's recorded in Isaiah 38, 
that the Lord caused the sundial to go back by 10 degrees. The Lord did that great miracle. There are other miracles that are even mentioned here around Calvary, miracles that were mentioned in our Bible reading. You notice in verse 51 it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That was a miracle. There when the Lord died upon the cross of Calvary, immediately the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Another miracle occurred. The end of verse 51 it says, And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. There was an earthquake. And so it's not just the darkness was the miracle, but the veil of the temple is rent in twain, and the earth did quake. Verse 52, there was a resurrection, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. You see these great miracles that were taking place when the Lord Jesus Christ was laying down his life upon that center tree. Here at Calvary, the darkness fell from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. You know, it would not have been lost on those standing by. Those who witnessed what was taking place that day We have noted already there were mockers and there were scorners. Those who would have shouted at the Lord and we have read some of the insults that they cast in the teeth of the Savior as he was there upon the cross. But when the darkness fell, there would have been a silence. It would have become a very solemn time. Oh, the mood would have changed greatly. The shouting and the scorning would have stopped. Those hardened hearts began to ponder what was happening. The darkness has come. It's 12 noon in the day. It should be the brightest time of the day. What is happening? There's something taking place here that is not natural. Again in Luke chapter 23... Verse 48, it's describing just just after these events. And Luke writes here, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts. And so it would seem to be a different reaction now to the Savior upon the cross when the darkness has come. The veil has been rent in twain. The earth has been shaking beneath them, and the graves have been opened. They're smiting their breasts. There's a fear that's gripping their heart. There's now a solemnity. Our Bible reading in Matthew 27 and the verse 54, that's where we finished our Bible reading, but it speaks there about the centurion who was there. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly. They feared greatly. That centurion went on to say, truly, this was the Son of God. You see how they have been impacted 
how they have been affected by these things. And our text of Scripture tells us that the darkness came, but the detail is added there. It was over all the land. Over all the land. If you were to go back to Luke's gospel, you would find that he would say it was over all the earth. And it would seem to indicate to us that it wasn't just the locality of Golgotha and Jerusalem there. It seems to have been a darkness that would envelop the whole earth. There is the Savior hung upon the tree. There's a darkness that surrounds the whole earth from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. The miracle of the darkness. Secondly, the meaning of the darkness. Darkness in the Bible represents a number of things. We know tonight that darkness represents sin. Darkness well describes man's condition. There are many verses in the Bible that we could turn to to prove that, but you would be familiar with 2 Corinthians, the chapter 4, and there it's the verse 4, and Paul writes, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And there's the sinner in their natural condition. They're blinded. They're sitting there in that gross darkness. They need the light of the gospel. Verse 6 of that chapter, he says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And thank God those that sit in darkness can know the glorious light and liberty of the gospel of Christ. But that darkness speaks to us of sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, in the verse 18, Paul writes about those having the understanding darkened. The understanding is darkened. And it's speaking there about man's sinful condition. We'll not take the time to turn to it, but in Romans 13 and the verse 12, you find the expression there, the works of darkness. And so darkness in the Bible carries the meaning of sin. It's representing man's sin. Darkness speaks as well of the world. The darkness of this world. John chapter 1 speaks about the Lord coming into the world. The Lord coming into the world as the light. And John 1 and the verse 5 says, The light shineth in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. And there's the Lord who is the light of the world and the light of the gospel. And he's coming into the world of darkness. And we know today this is a dark world in which we live. It reminds us of there, that ninth plague in Egypt, where the darkness there was so gross and so thick it could be felt. The darkness that covered the whole earth. This is a world today spiritually that's enveloped in darkness. 
Darkness speaks to us as well of judgment. Darkness in the Bible is used as a judgment. We could see that in that ninth plague again, but Genesis 15 and the verse 12 speaks about the horror of great darkness. And so darkness would speak of judgment, and darkness can actually be a judgment. You glance back just a couple of chapters in your Bible to chapter 25 of Matthew and to the verse 30. And there you read about that unprofitable servant. And it says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the darkness that speaks of judgment is the darkness that speaks of hell. It's interesting when you read about Judas, Judas the betrayer. And in John chapter 13 and the verse 30, it tells us that he went out, and it was night. He went out into the darkness. That little epistle of Jude, just before the book of the Revelation, it tells us there in Jude and the verse 6, In fact, it links up uh, darkness and judgment together. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The darkness of the judgment of the great day and going on in that epistle of Jude You could come to the 13th verse and it says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So darkness in the Bible is speaking to us about that place called hell. Cast into outer darkness and it's the blackness of darkness forever. And so when you come to Calvary, you think about that darkness. We think about the miracle of it. And we think about the meaning of it. But then thirdly, the message of this darkness. You come back to our Bible reading. Just look into the verse 46, which follows our text of Scripture. About the ninth hour. So the three hours are just coming to an end. Those three hours of darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And here was the cry. Here was the message. It was a cry that pierced through the darkness. It was a cry that broke the silence of the three hours. A cry with a question, why? Why? God the Son would cry out to God the Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? That's a sublime question. Under that darkness, the darkness that not only covered Calvary but covered the earth, It was under that darkness that the Savior suffered. There was a mystery there to his suffering under that darkness. Yes, he suffered in body. 
And we know the physical pain that he would have endured, that excruciating pain that would be unspeakable and indescribable. And yet there was not only the physical suffering, but he suffered in soul. And under the darkness there that came down for the three hours, the Lord Jesus Christ was forsaken of the Father. And we couldn't begin to fathom that. There's a mystery there to that suffering. Why? Why hast thou, God the Father, forsaken me, God the Son? God forsaken of God, the beloved Son, the only begotten Son, the eternally begotten Son, the sinless Son, forsaken upon the tree. You remember those words we were singing, the commencement of our service, words penned by Isaac Watts, that hymn, Alas, and did my Saviour bleed. I think it was the third verse that said, Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the great creator died for man the creature's sin. May the darkness there under which the Savior suffered and under that darkness he was bearing our sins in his own body upon the tree he who was the light of the world and that darkness that was surrounding him at that time uh, was signifying the darkness of sin that he was bearing for us. When he who knew no sin became sin for us and he took the judgment, the judgment that should have been ours, the punishment, the wrath of God against sin and he bore it all. But he asks why. Why hast thou forsaken me? The answer to that question is so that we could be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ bore it all so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come to the light, so that we would know what it is to have the light of the gospel dawn upon our heart. And as we've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and trust in him and we've commenced that journey to heaven, the word of God encourages us to walk in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That we may have fellowship the one with the other knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Problem is that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. But oh, that a soul tonight, a soul would come to the Savior, a soul would come from darkness onto light, and be assured tonight of heaven, to know that when you leave this scene of time, you will go to that place where there's no more darkness, that place that there's no night there. It's the land of eternal day. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, he's the light thereof. And so tonight as we have come again to 
consider Calvary and to think about the darkness at Calvary. Oh, that you would not abide in darkness tonight, but that you might come to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that one day you shall be in heaven with him and to be dwelling in his eternal light forevermore. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to each of our hearts this evening. We're going to bow together in a closing word of prayer. And then after we pray, we're going to come to that time of remembrance. So we just remain seated for prayer. And then when we come to the minute's silence, we will stand together. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, And our gracious God, we thank thee tonight for the light of Scripture. We praise thee, our Father, that that light of the gospel is able to pierce into darkened hearts tonight. And we pray, our Father, that thou wouldst do that work which is over and above the ability of man. And thou wouldst take that dealing with some heart even here tonight. Do be pleased to bless the effort in the gospel that it might go forth to the glory, to the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would see our Father many being the slave of the Lord even in these days. Hear our prayer and abide with us now. And even our Father, as we think at this time of national mourning and we come, O God, to remembrance, we do pray that thou wouldst receive of our thanks for the long life of Queen Elizabeth II, We thank thee for her majesty's reign of 70 years. We thank thee for blessing our land and nation, even through times of war and times of conflict. And we thank thee, our Father, for the civil and religious liberties that we have enjoyed. And we would ask, O God, as we reflect on the past, that we would think too of the future. We pray for his majesty, King Charles III, that thou wouldst go before him, O God, and as many would sing, God save the King, we pray that thou wouldst be pleased, our Father, to save his soul, and that our land would know the blessing of the triune God upon it. So hear us and abide with us now. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.